we're going to start with Crystal. And how about you give us just a little bit of your story? Um, well, it, it started 13 years ago. I was in a car accident. Um, I was on my way to work. I was a nurse in Vita, and I was on my way to work, and it was May 3rd, 2006, and I was on, it was a night um, position. Well, it was a day-night rotation, but um, the night position, I was uh, really sleety that night, and I was on the 201 to Vita, so it's a very dark highway. Um, on the side of the road, I noticed somebody walking. They had a long rain slicker on, so I just kind of went real slow. And I noticed it was a man that lived across from the hospital where I worked. So I stopped and I helped him. Uh, I stopped and I asked him if he could use a ride, and he said yes. Uh, he got into the truck, into the car, and he asked me if I could stop at his vehicle to pick up his passenger and his wife. So I said yeah. Um, as we come upon their car, I noticed they were in the middle of the highway. They didn't coast over to the shoulder. So I stayed a ways back and, and parked on the shoulder. Um, he got out right away, and I opened my door, and there was, like, somebody right at the door, like, instantaneously. So I put my seat forward, and their passenger got into my back seat. And then I turned to the, the wife, and she said, no, she had to go back to her car to get her purse. Sorry. Um, so I put the seat back, but I sat sideways on it because I was on the shoulder. They were in the middle of the lane. We both had our hazards on. So I figured, you know, whoever was coming up would definitely see that. Um, so I pushed the seat back and I sat sideways on the seat, but I pulled the door up against my knees and, and I was talking to the lady in my back seat and out of the corner of my eye, I could see lights coming. And it's just one of those things that you notice they're coming way too fast. I didn't have any time to say anything to anyone. I just tensed up and sure enough um, she hit the back of my car I flew out I went up and over the door I skid along the then I landed skid along the pavement and smacked the back of the car that I had stopped to help and rolled into the ditch all in time for my car to stop less than a foot from my head um, I rolled yeah I rolled into the ditch um, the next thing I the next thing I remembered like the husband and the wife were right there beside me asking me if I was okay and I said that I was cold that, that I needed a blanket because um, I had taken my jacket off so that the lady in my back seat could cover up with it because it was really cold yet um, so she they went to straighten my leg and when they did that I could feel the bone on bone and I was like no 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 don't touch me don't don't just don't touch me go find me something to cover up with so and I said like Always the nurse took control of the situation. Um, I said to the husband, I said, uh, you go find my purse. Uh, my, uh, yeah, you go find my purse. And um, I sent the wife for a blanket. And then the lady that hit me, she started to panic. And I sent her to my car to find my phone. I said, I don't care if you have to stand on top of the car, you phone 911. Basically, as soon as they were all gone, the first thing I did was run my teeth, my tongue along my teeth to make sure that they were all there, that I wouldn't choke on them. Um, I already knew that my leg was broken because I felt the bone on bone when she tried to move it. Um, and I thought that I was, I thought that my arm, that I was laying on my arm. Um, after I ran my tongue along my teeth to see that, the, that, I w that they were all there, then I started, okay, deep breath. Oh, no, that hurts. Um, so then I started, I didn't plead. Like, you know, you have your whole conversation with the higher power. And I didn't plead or anything. I just, I explained to him that he was, um, he, had, he had made me a mother. 
And to me, that was the greatest job he could ever give anyone, and I wasn't finished doing that. Um, the next thing I know, the first responders were there, and they got like right down in my face, and they were talking to me. Then the ambulance came. They put me on the stretcher, and when they, like that's back when the stretchers, you still had to lock them, and when they jerked it to lock, I passed right out. Yeah, the next thing I remembered, I was on my way to Vita. Okay, now, the injuries that I sustained. We'll get to there, okay. Uh, they stabilized me in Vita and sent me to the city right away. Um, the injuries that I sustained, I broke the left clavicle in two places, which is your collarbone. I broke the left scapula, uh, shoulder blade, in four places. I broke six ribs. I fractured three vertebrae in my back. I chipped two vertebrae in my neck. I had 22 pelvic fractures. I broke the right femur in two places, and I broke the distal head right off. Uh, usually an IM rod is, is just above and below the brakes in your, your leg. Mine is the entire length of my femur. They just kind of prop the ball on the end um, and just kind of hoped for, for bed rest. I had a 14% chance of survival because I had punctured the upper and lower lung on the left side, collapsed the upper mid lung on the right side. My spleen was ruptured. I had uh, my, my kidneys shut down, my liver shut down, my pancreas abscessed. I had a pancreatic ostomy on my left side for over a year. Um, I was only at that time the fifth person in Canada to ever have one and survive. Um, my kidneys, uh, my, the right kidney, the function came back, the net left never did. A year after the accident, they removed the left kidney. I had a left-sided nephrostomy. Um, now 13 years, oh wait spleen was ruptured. I had a pneumothorax and a hemothorax, which are blood and fluid in the space around your, the cavity of your heart. Um, I flatlined four times, twice they used paddles to bring me back. I was on life support for 10 days. I was in the hospital for four and a half months. Um, I had a 14% chance of survival because like, the only organ that was not affected was my brain. So you literally are a walking miracle. <laughs> Apparently, yeah. They said that I would never walk again. I do walk, although I walk with a little bit of a limp and I have a brace on my leg. Um, I do have a handicap pass. I do use it at times, not always. Uh, it's it's pretty funny because I'll pull up and they'll look at me and you know like, and then I put my can my pass up and I get out and they look at my leg and then they look away. <laughs> so fast forward, here we are again. Thirteen years. Thirteen later. years later in the hospital. 13 years later in the hospital, uh, right now I have a severe hydronephrosis, which is my kidney is all swollen and, and it's, it's way bigger than it has to be. I just had a stent replacement done on, was it Thursday, Wednesday? Uh, Wednesday. Wednesday. Um, and it's apparently all clogged up again. Um, yeah, so we're just waiting to find out if I'm going back for another stent uh, replacement. Um, just waiting to find out what they're gonna do. Uh, I have a catheter in right now. Um, yeah, and it, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, I, um, I'm very close to having to start dialysis. Uh, the thing about dialysis and me is that because of all the weakness that I've had over the last two and a half years, um, I've spent more time in the hospital than I've spent out of the hospital. My urologist doesn't believe I'm a very strong candidate for dialysis. So he's doing everything he can to try and prevent me from having to do dialysis. Um, I had, in June, I had a bory flap done, 
B-O-A-R-I, flap. Um, that's where they, they cut the back of your bladder in half. They bring it up, they cut two slits in it so there's like a flap in the middle. Then when they sew it all back in closed, it's like a funnel on top of the kidney, mm -hmm. uh, on top of the bladder, sorry. And then they cut off the ureter and they reattached it there. So yeah, the, anything that they can do to try and keep me out of dialysis. Um, however, I'm getting really close to having to go in for dialysis again. Um, I'm A negative. Uh, which is a very red, rare blood type. Basically, there's four, we take up 4% of the entire world's population. And so what is the hope about telling your story? I'm hoping to find more people that, you know, more live donors. You know, uh, that's the biggest thing is there's just, there's just not enough people out there who are aware that being a live donor does really help people um, in the fact that they can donate and save somebody's life. They're, they're a true superhero when they can donate. If I don't get a kidney, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to survive very long. So could you walk us through the process of donating, uh, being a live donor? Uh, being a live donor, what they would do is they would call the Manitoba Kidney Foundation. Found, kidney Foundation, mm -hmm. yeah. And um, just state that they want to be a donor a live donor that they're interested in being a live donor and what they'll do is they'll send them out a package now if they wanted to be for me specifically then when they would call them they would say I'm looking to be a donor for Crystal Dubois and they would give them my birthday which is August 17th 1973 and they'll send them out a package now in that package it'll tell them all the different steps that they have to do nothing is very invasive um, I guess it, probably the most invasive part would be the tissue sampling, and, and that's not even. Um, when they do become a donor, they have three small incisions. Um, you know more about that. You read more about that than I have. I, I, need, I need to be donated too, so <laughs> she's done more of the donor part. So. Okay, so then Rosalie, can you just add to that process? Um, yeah, actually, it's just a matter of getting the information um, sent to them by the Kidney Foundation, stating that they actually want to to give this ultimate gift of hope and love to, to Crystal by stating her name specifically. So then after that, they get their blood tested to make sure that they are an actual compatible match, um, and then they start the compatibility testing, which is a, normally it's a very long process. Um, however, in Crystal's case, because she literally will not survive without uh, a kidney, they're going to be expediating um, all of the testing there. So uh, the psychological testing is still very involved in that as well, but it's a long process, unfortunately. Okay, and do you want to explain a little bit about your organization and how you have connected with Crystal and what that is all about? Okay, well, I actually, I still run CNEED Fill a Need. It's a pay-it-forward program. It's a free service that I provide. Um, it's for any individual religious organization, community. It's see a need, fill a need, is what it is. Um, people get brought to my attention through nominations. So in Crystal's case, uh, we met on July 31st. Uh, Giselle Woman, um, one of the owners of Heavenly Pines, actually brought her to my attention. So we've been following Crystal's story. We've been raising awareness for her. And through my company, I am planning to, to cover all of the costs for the medical expenses and living expenses for the person who can give this gift to Crystal, so that worry is at least gone from them. Um, I don't have the money, so we're going to be fundraising for it, obviously, but 
post-surgery care will be covered. Okay. Um, that fundraising, do you know what that's going to look like, when yes. it's going to happen? Yes, actually, I just, just started making all of the arrangements. Um, I've partnered up with DJ Brenton from Summer Bounce Entertainment, who is going to be helping me to raise awareness for Crystal as well. We're getting a social together, so we don't have the date yet, but we'll both be campaigning for that pretty hard to get the You'll attention. have to let us know, and we'll... We'll post it as well. Um, and then also there's a podcast, the Two Idiots podcast. They're also helping us to get her, her name out there. They've done a story on her, and they're sharing everything that we post about her. Who, sorry, who is? Reg Weeb. Uh, he's one of the two idiots that they do the podcast. That's what they're called. That's what their podcast is called, the two idiots. Uh, Randy Hayden, who is one of the two idiots, happens to be my cousin. He's my, yeah, so that's how I got to be on there. And then um, I brought them to the attention of, of Rosalie and everything that she was doing, and they decided to partner up. Like, that's their thing. And then... Reg just uh, sent me a message not long ago saying that he's actually getting tested to see if he can be a donor. That's all very exciting. It sounds like it's moving very quickly, so that's very hopeful. So what is the timeline that we're looking at? Like, I, I know that's not a fun thing to talk about, but... Basically, the testing takes anywhere from six months to a year, and it all depends. Um, as of June... Um, with all of my testing that I have to get done as of June, um, my kidney is at 12%. Like it fluctuates up and down. Uh, usually it sits at 8%, but uh, because of the bory flap, it went up to 12%. Um, I'm not quite sure as what it's at now with being in the hospital. Uh, my creatinine fluctuates. Um, this, this time it went up into the high 400s. Uh, normally it's 0 0.5 to 1.1 for, for a normal healthy person. I'm in the 400s. <laughs> yeah. Like to state that a good timeline would be uh, we need to we need to find a donor immediately because we need at least the six month uh, periods for testing there but there's also the fundraising so we basically need somebody to step up now before she has to be put on dialysis. Okay, is there anything else you'd like to add? Is the hope that you'll be able to be home in between or does it look like? There, I'm definitely hopeful to be going home soon. Um, I've been in the hospital this time for three weeks. Well, we're, go we're on week four here. Um, Friday will be four weeks that I've been in the hospital this time. Um, so the sooner, sooner the better. And I mean, like you guys can look and see for yourselves. Like if you look at my, my bag down here, you can see that it's not very nice. Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay, so the sooner the better is what we're talking about. Yeah. Okay. I oh, uh, what can you say about Rosalie's support and, and just being able to get your story out there? What does that mean to you that, that you know, like she's by your side in moments like this? It's a pretty emotional thing. It's very emotional. I, I couldn't have asked for a better friend to come into my life. Like, having somebody want to help you is just, it, it's the ultimate. It's the ultimate in selflessness because anybody who, who can give a kidney or who tries to give, give a kidney or tries to help a person get a kidney, those are, true, those are the true superheroes. Like, really, they're, they're the ones that shine. I'm just the person that needs one. Yeah, it is a very beautiful thing when people are willing to do that. Uh, Rosalie, I know that you've 
connected, obviously, very closely in this case, but with everybody that you help. How do you deal with all of that? Because it is a, a very heavy thing for you to kind of take on for yourself. I don't, I don't really believe that it's an option for me. Once somebody is brought to my attention, like Crystal, I mean, we, we have to do what we can to help. I, it's not really a choice. Crystal, as tough as it is, you know that sometimes at night when you're when you're sitting up, you have to think and you have to wonder: Will you ever actually get a kidney? For those of us that cannot put ourselves in that situation, can you try and explain what kind of mental burden that puts on you when you got to think about what you need and what you're asking? Um, the mental burden is huge. Basically, I cry myself to sleep almost every single night because. I feel like a selfish person asking somebody to give up a part of themselves. Like, really, that's what you're asking them to do. But it's huge at the same time when you get people who want to be tested for you because they're, they're essentially giving you your life. And that's what I think about every single night when I go to sleep. And what I pray for is that asking somebody to save my life. Words can't, words can't possibly express how, how, to, how you feel. And, and I think that's why people have to go through the psychiatrical part or psychological part, sorry, of the whole abs aspect of this and why they have to see if you can mentally handle this. Like I see, I have to see a social worker and stuff. Like everything that the donor has to do, I have to do as well. So... It's, a, it's asking a lot for somebody to go through. If I had two kidneys, would I do it? In a heartbeat. But I think I've shown that in, that, in the respect that I got hurt saving somebody else. And I would do it again in a second. I really would. That's just who I am. That's why I became a nurse, was to try and help save lives. That's wonderful. Thank you, Crystal, for sharing. And thank you, Rosalie, as well, for being her support and bringing awareness to this. It's a big need. And yeah, letting people know you can be a live donor. I think that's something that not a lot of people are aware of.